Clit Talk is now on Patreon. Woohoo! If you're a fan of our show and get value out of our podcast, please consider becoming a patron. There are so many ways we would love to expand the Clit Talk Vampire, like hosting community events, creating inspirational videos, and who knows, maybe even someday go on tour. Patreon is a monthly subscription-based crowdfunding platform. In exchange for your support, we're going to offer you some super sexy VIP experiences. Like, we promise you'll have an orgasm every day for the rest of your life. Um, no, Sugar, we can't promise them that. But we can promise exclusive behind-the-scenes content, private Patreon-only discussion groups, live monthly calls with our cast, and then some. Go to our website, clittalkshow.com, for more information. Pussy, pussy, it's gonna be a good one today, yes. I'm talking about a clit talk, clit talk, clit talk, talking about a clit talk, clit talk, clit talk. Come on, girls and boys and everyone on the gender rainbow, bring your pussies to the show. Sex and done, sex and done, sex and done. Oh! We're just fucking bonobos. <laughs> Uh, hi, Glitterati. <laughs> so, welcome to season three of Clit Talk. <laughs> First season, we embraced the word pussy and got in touch with our own. Then season two, we explored the world of tabooness and the underground world of sex. Now, we're ready to put our clothes back on and start looking at the origins of sex and how we came to operate the way that we do. So, The Pussy Posse is coming back to our roots as a book club in our new series featuring Christopher Ryan's doctoral dissertation turned New York Times bestselling book, Sex at Dawn, written by Christopher Ryan and Casilda Jeffa. In this book, Ryan challenges everything you think you know about sex, monogamy, marriage, and family. And almost every sexpert we've had on this show, from Nina Hartley to Susan Bratton, has told us emphatically, we must read this book on how we mate, why we stray, and what it all means for modern relationships. In this series, we're basically going to be turning the idea of traditional lifelong monogamy inside out and shaking it by its heels to discover what's worth keeping and what's just a bunch of fucking outdated programming. Now, this series may trigger the living shit out of some of you, and for others, may be the answer you've been looking for. Either way, it has valuable insights into how we operate today. So today, Clitorati, we begin at the very beginning. Adam and Eve. Just fucking kidding. Bonobos! (laughs) And the birth of agriculturalism. Ooh, now that's sexy. That's right. Apes, people. Motherfucking apes. Ah! <laughs> Hence we are, all the um, ape noises at the top of the episode. Yeah. Because yeah. we are them. It all so, makes sense now. It, it all makes sense now. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, fun fact. Human DNA differs from that of bonobos by roughly 1.6%. So, we're basically closer to bonobos than dogs are to foxes. How weird is that? Let that sink in for a minute. So. Sex at Dawn lays out this theory that before agriculturalism, human tribes behaved much like our close cousin, the bonobo. Like bonobos, tribes lived in interwoven communities and shared everything from food to shelter to sexual partners until 
Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> Christian imperialists showed up on the scenes, swung their sort of judgment on these primitive swingers, deeming this community style of living barbaric and sinful. They were like, fuck you, stop living in sin, you tribe people. So, ladies, <laughs> let's discuss. Well, I want to know. I mean, so seriously, what would you prefer? Okay. So the way that we have it set up right now, living in a single family home with your partner, raising your kids on your own and maintaining one monogamous sexual relationship for the rest of your life or option B, living in a community, sharing the land, sharing children, all your meals and each other's sex organs with all the other, you know, people in your community and your tribe. Are they mutually Exclusive? I mean, can you like live a double life? Because they both sound appealing in some ways. <laughs> <laughs> I'm with you. I'm like, can I'm like smack down in the middle? Can we uh, compromise here? Is there like an A lowercase B option? Well, I think I think the way that society is set up today, it's it's it would be very hard. But if that was just the way it was, right? If it really, you know, back when this was the way that it was, the idea of single parents for a child was literally absurd to the tribal people. There, this sense of ownership, it was, it was really, it was all for one and one for all. And the thing before agriculturalism, I remember it, in the book, they talked about how men and women were actually equal. The men would hunt, the women were gatherers. Everybody served a purpose in the tribe. Everyone was equal. There was no... This is mine. Like, if you didn't share, you died, basically. It was it was true tribal living. Everybody raised each other's children. And I get, like, in the confines of today's society, that's really hard to wrap your head around. But there's actually scientific fact that, and there are still tribes today that that operate like this. And I see them in Discovery Magazine dancing around and singing and, like, we're in, sitting in front of the TV and we're depressed and 50% divorce rate. I'm thinking there might be something to this. Well, we're basically a product of agriculturalism because that is when they owned land all of a sudden instead of it being everyone else's. They owned women like chattel. So women were no longer had any rights. And we've come so far from from then, but it's we're still not at the point of how liber, liberated and community-oriented the our tribal ancestors were. But let, let's go back and really explain that transition for those people who haven't read the book. Yeah. The the transition into agriculturalism. Um, so basically, people were living in tribal communities, and the men were hunters, the women were gatherers. There was no ownership of any land or anything. And then I remember hearing Christopher Ryan actually talk, one of the first things that led to agriculturalism actually was that they they built a moat and they started to bring water closer to the crops. And then they began, to, they began to discover that they could plant seeds. And then people started having ownership of the land. Mm-hmm. And then the woman's place of the gatherer was usurped. There was, And then women literally became property. And that is when patriarchy, I think, was really born. Yeah, I like that all three of us really hooked into that little tidbit of information because, you know, we all went to school and whatever, but we didn't learn history or 
evolution in this way. Evolutionary psychology is what he's calling it, Mm -hmm. which is a term I had never heard of before sex at dawn. And I think this idea of this agriculture, basically farms, you know, basically screwed us women. Pretty much. Right? We were in a status as part of a community as making sure that it was resilient. And the minute we started growing shit, we lost our status. You know, we just became a fucking possession. And when you think about today's time, that we can look around the world and clearly see that the majority of the resources are really in the ownership of men, that there's still some of that going on at a different level economically. But we're still in that position where we can be possessions or we we really aren't in positions of power. So women need to hook on to men to be able to just survive and sustain. So I kind of love this whole going from the dark ages yeah. into the, uh, you know, from the apes to the bonobos on to, you know, uh, basically tribal people and then how we got here. It really enlightens, like, who you are as a person, what men are thinking and why they behave the way we they do and why we behave the way we do. And it really creates, like, empathy. Mm-hmm. That's what I really love about the book most more than anything. Yeah, yeah. And, and going like agriculture is the first thing that screwed us. But when you really look at it, it was backed up by religions and scientific institutions who have historically claimed that women lack sexual appetites. And they also simultaneously work to suppress the female sexuality. Look at in some countries how women have to dress, even today. And the, you know, the women were meant to not be sexual. And that was not true in tribal times. Men and women were equals and women were completely sexual. And a lot of tribes were matriarchies. Yeah. Actually. But this whole this whole push it was just to control women and to like make us feel that we were not equal. And I don't know if that was necessarily the intention right off the bat, but it was an impact of how it went down. Mm-hmm. Not of the agriculture, but the religious was uh, completely intentional. Well, it was like (laughs) the institution of it is, and and that's really what's so fascinating about even this question, like option A, monogamy, the traditional, Mm -hmm. you know, kids, house, the whole nine yards, or this unconventional non-monogamous route. And it it kind of baffles me. You know, I'm 25, and to me, non-monogamy is the way of life. (laughs) Having read this book at 25, I'm just like, I wish to give this to children who are (laughs) turning 18 years old. Yeah, they're children until they're 18. (laughs) Um, Like, it's a college send-off gift because this, to me, is the new age thinking. Like, it actually isn't option A or option B. What about option C? Or cut. No, I'm just kidding. Or clit. Um, clit. Clit is the option. <laughs> <laughs> oh, whoopsie. No. So the option C, if we were to go there, it's so fascinating because when you think about it, tribes, primal tribes, their main goal was to procreate, to build the tribe, right? Mm-hmm. The bigger the tribe, the stronger the rate of survival. So they literally are just fucking like rabbits having all these babies, fathers being fathers to all the kids, mothers being mothers to all the kids, it didn't matter who was your kid. It mattered that you survived as a tribe. Mm -hmm. We do not fucking live this way. It's like, oh, someone's sick in the hospital, almost send them flowers. Systemically, we do not have this mentality built into our lifestyle. So when it comes an opportunity to connect with community, it's like a fucking band-aid. 
okay, yeah, we'll go to their party. We'll stop in and say hello. We're not actively integrated in people's lives like the real tribe is. And we go around, especially in Los Angeles here. Oh, my tribe. Oh, this is my tribe. Oh, my God, my tribe. And it's like, fuck you. I love you, but what is tribe? The the monogamy, monogamish part, great. Okay, that may or may not interest some people. What honestly interests me the most is, and, you know, Regina Thomas-Shower said it best, there is nothing sexy about the way we do motherhood today. Mm -mm. And the thought of truly being in a community where I had other adults that I knew completely had my back and we all raised each other's kids together— and you got to take a break when you needed to, or you got to pick up the slack when you had the energy to, that fucking sounds amazing. Yeah. Like, well, and, well, and here's my yeah. question, because I hear what you're saying, sugar, that, you know, you know, uh, monogamy is not for you at this point, and that it would be great to be in a big community with lots of mothers and all of us taking it, but that's not our reality. So the question is, why is polyamory or non-monogamy beneficial to you now? Well, honestly, what to what Lindsay's saying is I think there's just a world more of opportunities available because you don't limit yourself to you and one other person. You know, when I had a girlfriend in my relationship, in my marriage, because I am married, you know, I like cock. I've married a cock. <laughs> the, the thing that would come up is there's just certain things my partner, I don't want to get for my partner and he doesn't need to provide me. And just looking at the bigger picture and my life, I don't want to deal with, my husband's 15 years older than me. I don't know what the fucking future holds, okay? So for me, my comfort is in being with people who are like-minded. So I can be who I am. To me, non-monogamy is just you are, you're constantly listening to yourself and your desires. Whether you act on those fantasies or not, entirely other conversation. But just allowing yourself to follow your truth and do it inside of a relationship, which is so fucking confronting because that person might not be on the same page as you in that moment, builds fucking character, builds courage, builds an opportunity for you don't have to fucking be like, my husband needs to give me everything or my partner needs to give me everything or my wife. It's it's so much more liberating. To me, it literally creates a turned on relationship because all of a sudden, the second you're like, we're a little open. We're a little freaky. We're kind of down to bring in somebody. We're, you can go on a date with a girl. I mean, I wouldn't feel cool with my husband going on a date with just a girl just yet, but it depends. If I turn that off, I'm limiting those opportunities. So what turns me on is the expanded opportunities. And what Lindsay's talking about, I mean, I can't even imagine motherhood right now. I hope one day have, it have, kicks in. I have in. one word for you. Infidelity. Currently, currently, the statistics of infidelity in marriages, 58% of men and 65% of women answered yes to being unfaithful in their marriages. Now, I think there are a lot of benefits to marriage and a partnership outside of just sex. Now, I think a lot of women living in la-la land thinking that all of their husbands are being faithful. I personally would rather like be there for the experience. I also enjoy women and have fun with it rather than living in denial thinking that I'm in this perfect monogamous relationship when more than half the time it's not fucking true. Well, I would say I don't— I'm in a monogamous relationship and I don't feel like I'm one of those women who are living in a la-la land or denial. I'm in a committed monogamous relationship. 
So that does exist. And just because those are. Yeah, but I'm just saying, like, mm-hmm. that's but, not that's not like, say, any woman who's in a monogamous relationship is living in la la land or in denial I'm about her committed relationship. Yeah, I know, but and, and a lot of, I mean, how many people, how many of you in this room, you don't even have to say it into the microphone, when you've been in a monogamous relationship, have fantasized about other people? Fantasizing is just a natural part of life, whether you're in a monogamous relationship or not, because you're not hurting anyone. Well, in the book, he actually talks about how it is. There were there's a whole, there was a whole study done on this, and the biology of us being in monogamous relationships has been changing our biology and our natural desires. What was actually natural for Homo sapiens was to be with multiple partners. We're going against like our nature and our biology. So I will say that in every relationship that I've ever been in, whenever I started to be attracted to someone else is when I got out of that relationship. But the entire, like I'm a serial monogamer where most of my relationships have been three years or more since I was in high school. So I would be with someone and not attracted to anyone else for a long time. And I will say though, I'm not attracted to other men, but I have had shared experiences with like my partner partner of women being hot, um, but not that I'm ever interested in acting on that. So my answer is, is no, like I don't, I'm don't, I'm not interested in anyone else you other than my partner. Yeah. And that makes a lot of sense based on a lot of things, your background, your thoughts about your future, how you were raised. You know, there's a lot of reasons why we do what we do. What I really dug about this book more than anything is that they're not telling you what's right or wrong at all. Mm-hmm. They're presenting, and even though in some scientific communities this thesis is controversial, where some psychologists don't agree with this, some evolutionary biologists don't agree with this, it is still controversial. But what I like about it is that it's not telling us what's right or wrong or what we should do or what's not natural. What they're posing is really this concept of, first of all, we're at war with our eroticism. That's a quote from the book. We are at war with our eroticism. Doesn't mean you have to be polyamorous. Just our erotic natures in general, we tend to be at war with. And what I really like about this book is what it's exploring in terms of some of our failed relationships and the social constructs that we live by is that the real question is, uh, what causes the death of desire? And what I love about that question in itself is, you know, I I've, I was in a marriage for a long time, as you all know. You know, I was with one person for 24 years. He was my first, my only, and I really didn't have any thoughts of ever cheating, ever. So is that, un, was I unnatural for 24 years? No, I don't think I was un, unnatural. That's what I wanted at that time. But for sure, this concept of the lack of desire the in any relationship over time that you just get bored you fucking bored of fucking the same person it's it's t- totally natural one of my favorite people is a woman named Esther Perel and she really argues that um in good and good and committed sex draws on two conflicting needs our need for security and our need for surprise So her TED Talks and all her research over these years is really questioning, how do you sustain desire? 
with wit and eloquence? And how do you just keep the fires burning? And what do you need to keep doing that? And sometimes it is bringing in somebody else. And sometimes it is letting go of your own war with your eroticisms within your partnerships. Mm -hmm. So I don't think there's a right or wrong to this. For sugar, it feels really natural to be and to give and to receive and to get pleasure from many people. And there's nothing wrong with that. And for some people like Katie, she just wants it for her man. From him only, she doesn't want to give it to anybody else. That's her shit. And that's good too. Yeah, I think that's really eloquently, beautifully put at being at war with our own eroticism. And I think that acknowledging that we do have certain biological predispositions. Now look, and the the German philosopher, um, what, Arthur Schipahar? I, I totally, love, I totally, I love, we're, we're like sitting here in the studio name. with all of our notes. We've totally geeked out on this. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> totally geeked out well, he said, he said, you know, one can choose what to do, but not what to want. And I think that it is really important for us to acknowledge that we do have a predisposition to fantasy, to thinking about other people when you masturbate. Now, I'm not saying that everybody acts on it, but I think the statistics are staggering. A lot of people are. And I would say the people that aren't, is it's not because they don't want, because society has fucking shamed that so hardcore that your mind won't even manifest that thought it won't even go there well and i think that's totally spot on because that's a lot of what we've talked about in these last two seasons of clit talk is disrupting that shame uncovering what's really there with us what do we really want what have we really been missing what do i fantasize about i've never thought about it You know, because there is this social stigma that is like the ground that we've been breaking. And I think it's so interesting. This book, Sex at Dawn, is there's a quote by um, Stephen Taylor that it completely reevaluates human sexual behavior and gets to the root of many of our social and psychological ills. And I think that's a lot of what we've already been skimming the surface on mm-hmm. or really like starting to dig in and see what's out there. Mm-hmm. And now I'm so, this book is great. Yeah, we don't want to deny like the, our biological, um, te- you know, the way that we were originally wired. Well, just acknowledge, everyone, yeah. everyone's going to have a different edge. Obviously, in the current society, a lot of people are going to choose monogamy. Some people are going to be on the borders of that. But I think, you know, wherever your edge is, being willing to push it, even if it's as simple as, I've never fantasized about another person masturbating, but it's something I'd like to try and being able to have an open conversation with your partner and not be made to feel shitty about it. Well, Like, I'm attracted to this guy. Can I masturbate about him? And your partner actually not being threatened by that. Oh, shit. I never asked my partner if I can masturbate <laughs> about people, and I just did I that with people this but, what, but that's what I'm saying. What if people could ha- actually have an open dialogue about this and begin to acknowledge that there's nothing wrong with our biology and what we're predisposed to. Well, and also having an open dialogue with friends who are opening their marriages. That was something that I had a huge judgment on before. Like, why would you go in and destroy your marriage? Yeah, we know. You know? I, I know. <laughs> but I don't feel that way anymore because of these conversations we've been having. Like, it's a choice and you're in communication and there's ways to do it. And I've just learned so much. So, um, 
So we that, know that too. Yeah. Okay. Thanks, that. sugar. Well, there was. Hey there, Clitorati. It's Katie. So you all know I'm a nurse, and Clit Talk for me is a health conversation. I really want to take a minute to share a product with you that has made a huge difference in my life. Foria Wellness Awaken CBD Lubricant. Remember that. I use it multiple times per week, and this is coming from the woman who never used to masturbate. Not only has it enhanced my new masturbation lifestyle, it's eased the pain I used to have during sex, and my husband is super happy because our bedroom play is so much more fun. So, I personally reached out to Foria Wellness to see if they would partner with Clit Talk, and they were an overwhelming yes. So now, you can get a discount on their fabulous products by going to our brand new pleasure store at clittalkshow.com. All their products are there, and if you're interested in trying them out for yourself, use the discount code CLITTALK10 for 10% off your purchase. I can't recommend them enough, so do yourself a favor and get your pussy high. There was a specific question, I think, Tamika, you asked earlier, like, why would someone do this? What's the benefit of of being monogamish or poly or swinger or whatever you want to call it? Or straight as fuck. Or straight as far, straight as the, the <laughs> arrow is long. Um I can tell you specifically, I had a really create uh, an amazing experience with um, another person, another woman, and she was so enamored with me and and thought I was magical and beautiful and was very vocal about it. And it literally re-enrolled my partner into like seeing me with those beginner's eyes again. Like it reinvigorated our relationship mm-hmm. and it made him fall in love with me all over again. Um, I think that I, I would not recommend monogamish to everybody. Absolutely not. Okay. <laughs> not let, in this, let, not but, in this current society. But, okay. But wait a minute. Not in this current society. Wait a minute. Let me, let me paint a picture for you. Yeah. Two people met each other, fell deeply in love, had a family, been together for 60 years, so in love, still good, best friends, laugh all the time, and they literally die minutes apart. I know you guys have heard those stories, haven't yeah, you? Yeah. That's not a bad way to go either, Lindsay. I'm not they're, saying they're, anything they're, is bad. There are like so many ways to do life. Yeah. What yeah. I love about this book is this exploration of how is it that we as women are some of the only creatures that don't actually know instinctively when we ovulate. Okay, so check this the fuck out though. <laughs> we're, we're 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 missing a big thing. Here. Wait 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 wait. I just want to say something. I just just for the record, I don't think anything is a wrong choice. I just think that there are certain statistics and thir- certain things that we cannot ignore anymore. The culture and the society is the way it is. I I I respect anyone's choice, and I also think that. The, the statistics are just staggering. I'm not look if two sixty year olds want. They also we're in a completely different generation than us today. You know what I mean? They didn't have the tools and the conversations that we have. They didn't know anything else. We don't know what their sex life was like for 60 years. We don't know if the woman ever had an orgasm. Now, now, now pair bonding and being truly in love and, and dying because within minutes of each other because you had that connection, that's, that's something totally different. But we've had an asexual episode there are people out there that their priority was maybe in the beginning having some hot sex, but after that was all about security, that that's what turned them on. Stability, security, someone has my back. Yeah. And, you know, there are different strokes for different folks. I, too, believe that to be aware of the fact that we do have these urges, I think probably a, a majority of us do. 
because of the statistics. And to explore those in a way that doesn't hurt other people and that's safe and to be true to yourself is all good. But I don't really believe that one or the other. It's almost like whether socialism or communism or democracy works. It's really the intention of the people at the end of the day. Yeah, I don't it think is, one way know. or another is better either. I do, I, do, I do think those stories of people being married for 60, 70 years, I don't know if I, those stories happen a lot with our grandparents and you you mentioned security i think in that era of time women really did need to get married to have security us as women today have a lot more options we do yeah and this is what i was going to come at you real hard with uh come at her real hard and it's even more relevant now like i'm so happy this whole interjection <laughs> happened okay, here <laughs> so Let's just look at slut-shaming and even man-slut-shaming for a second. Lindsay, earlier you said, biologically, we're wired a certain way. And in the society, it's almost like we're changing our DNA. Like, we're changing our biological structure. So They actually say that in the book. He does. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. So if we just look at this, before the institution of, we'll just call it religion— I'm going to even throw marriage in there, and I'll throw divorce in there. Before the institution of all these things that were fucking made up by us, probably as a, an outcome of agriculturalism. For sure. Right? Because you need people to get married to, so that they can get a big house and buy fucking land. Yep. Yep. It's all made up. It's all made up. So, and it's all good because, like, I buy into marriage. I'm fucking married. I got married at 23. Like, I'm part of, like, I've halfway, my biology is still, like, with the new change, but then half my biology is with the the tr- with the fucking bonobos and fucking having group sex every other At weekend. Night, you become you know an <laughs> on the but weekends for- she's a bonobo. I'm a bonobo <laughs> on the weekends. Yeah, Our I have my time. I have my hair up in a ponytail, and then I just take off my clothes and show you my hairy body. Just kidding, it's totally waxed. <laughs> so let's look at this, right? So women, uh, along the way of of, of changing our DNA, changing our biological structure, because now we have the institution of religion and telling us don't have sex, don't have sex till you get married. And now, now we get married and we have kids. Now we get divorced. Uh, we have all of these things that occur for some women. They are so sexual. They just want to fuck. I was one of those girls. I just want, and I was slut shamed all growing up. Then there's other women who literally you're on the other spectrum of that. You have all this going on inside you, but you don't want to be slut-shamed. So you don't even let yourself be expressed sexually because you don't want to be shamed like all those other girls that might have been some of your friends too. On the other side, we have men. Any man who sleeps with, right, like a new chick every week, they're, they're, they're titled the man whore, right? And they're, they're like the man slut. Or they're and, just the man. Yeah, the man. That's what I'm saying. Or a fuckboy. Okay, fuckboy is another one, but, you know, yes, fuckboy, man whore, Katie, what you're saying, we should look at them like the man. We really should because, again, for them, biologically, this was part of manhood. This was part of womanhood to express ourselves sexually with anyone and everyone because, again, it was about survival. So the context of survival is completely different now. We don't need to procreate to, like, keep our families alive. We don't. We're actually fortunate enough where we don't need that. But I'm just questioning because of this, you know, this book, the biggest question that arises is, so when did we go 
south along the way. Because this divorce rate situation, I mean, I got some crazy stats. I don't even want to go into all of them. But I mean, literally 13, over 1,300 divorces happen during the average of one five-hour wedding reception. What? Yeah. Yeah. 1,300 divorces are happening. Meanwhile, one person's getting married. Uh, and that's, oh, I see. That's, that's, I didn't want to just give like a 50 something percent. I wanted to give like, let's feel what this feels like, what this percentage actually looks like in life. Someone gets married for five hours while that's happening. 1,300 divorces are happening. I thought you meant that like 1,500 marriages that happened, they got divorced like <laughs> after their the ceremony. Yeah. I, was like, oh I, that too. I was like, really? I was Hopefully. like, they saved themselves. Yeah. They got out like, early. Geez, well, that's what I was thinking. They could have decided funny. like yeah. 80 grand earlier. Yeah, right? Save that money. Well, thank you for clarifying that. Yeah, yeah okay. no, not to cause confusion, now. but like— how crazy is that? You know, when we 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 don't think about we don't think about divorce like that. We just think, oh yeah, half people stay married, half people get divorced. But when you break it down, it's more common than interactions of love. Like I have a laundry list of other of other statistics I found that are literally like when you're having sex, by the time you're done coming, this many divorces are happening. It's crazy to think, huh? It wasn't always like this. We made up marriage, literally. We then invented divorce. And since we've gone on and on decade after decade as a society being like monogamy, 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 and the suppressed desires you're talking about, Tammy, we're now monogamy, monogamy, but we're not educated on how to work through shit with our partner. And now we got to face, we literally have to face our own, I guess, insecurities in our relationship where then women are like these, you know, Psycho, needy women. Oh, and a woman who's all about her relationship is all of a sudden needy and 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 annoying. And men are like cold and standoffish. It's that that relationship that we have with women who are overly involved in their relationship and men who are overly not involved. We start titling, but really, we weren't given anything other than marriage and divorce. We weren't also given another institution of like how to have a fucking amazing relationship. Mm-hmm. Well, we had the mm-hmm. Cinderella story crammed down our throats as little girls and told to go find Prince Charming. And then when we're in the relationship and we haven't had sex for six months or whatever, we're like, what the fuck happened? Mm. You know, or you're mm. like, why am, why don't, why am I not attracted to Prince Charming anymore? Yeah. Um, and you know, there's, there's not one way to do it, well, like Tamiko said. I think that's a why now this generation, just to add on to what Sugar was saying, was now people are really waiting to get yeah. married, maybe not having kids, waiting to do all of this stuff, you know? Mm-hmm. So there is another shift that—I mean, I'm 34, and getting married at 30 was, like, late— for anyone else who is in Ohio who had two kids already, you know? So, yeah, uh, to go back to what Sugar was saying, I don't actually think it's that crazy that we have such a high divorce rate personally. I think when the institution of marriage started, I don't have all the historical figures, but I've, I can guess that we weren't living too long, right? Weren't we living, weren't we dying at like 28, 29, 30, right? So it kind of makes a little sense because, you know, 
they know you start ovulating. So women were getting married at like 13 or 14 even. And so you only had like maybe 15 years with the dude. That's All a really right. good point. You could do that. Yeah. But also, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> ba- back then also, we were the possession and not being able to fend for our own resources. So in terms of evolution, there's a couple things that happen. Living longer, now women can actually work and get their own resources. So naturally, I think this thing of divorce, it's not a stigma. It's just the natural evolution of everything, like the cycles, like the four seasons, like we die. Things end. Things end. Doesn't mean it was right or wrong. It's just how it is sometimes. But I'm actually questioning the underneath what you're saying, which is absolutely no right, no wrong. I grew up from, uh, you know, Divorced, divorced family. I got to be one way with mom, make her happy. Got to be one way with dad, make him happy. I don't. People that are still married, it fucking weirds me out. <laughs> Honestly, my parents are married. That's My fucking weird. Still married. Um, and, and to me, it's like crazy. I'm like, what the fuck? You have parents are married? <laughs> like, I'm also in that younger generation where I think we're see we just saw a lot more divorces pop up in the last 15 years, like crazy. My parents were the first parents to get divorced in my community, actually, and it was so fucking taboo. People talked shit about my parents for like years until everyone else started getting divorced. <laughs> then they started calling my mom for coaching. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, but what I'm bringing is, would there actually be this people breaking the relationship and parting ways, i.e. divorce, if we were actually as a society given a whole world of understanding of how to navigate changes in life and our own changes and like sex education in this country does not teach us ongoingly as an adult Listen, your desires are going to come up. I mean, this podcast is an example of one resource you can use for your sex education as an adult. But how really, to communicate with your partner. How to communicate because you could be in a marriage for ten years and all of a sudden be like, "Oh my god, I think I like women." How many people do we know that all of a sudden in their marriage they think they decide that they want to be that they're gay? They they're like, "I'm gay. I always have been," and they they experience having to literally end the relationship now. In some moments, that's appropriate. It might not be like we're saying, to each his fucking own. I wouldn't recommend monogamy to every single person. But we are missing so much from our society in terms of being given the opportunity to even see if we had these resources, if we could talk about fantasies, desires, what we want from our partners, what we, who we are sexually as sexual beings. I'm just questioning, would we even have this but, conversation about but you're divorce. fighting biology too because because of procreation and we know that when we get pregnant we really want somewhere someone there to not only help us with that but also to give us good genes so our kids will be healthy mm-hmm. that's like an unconscious thing we do when we choose our mate you know does he have strong genes does he look strong that's why sometimes for some reason taller guys are more attractive to women right it's all that kind of stuff so we're fighting two things we're fighting the need to procreate and have stability and we're fighting this desire to have newness and freshness and sensuality and eroticism. It's a tough balance, I think, as a human being. Well, fuck, Tamiko. Shit. I'm going to have to think about that one. I mean, this is great. We're just starting the conversation. And you bring up a great point because I can still see where I'm a little jealous cunt. And I want, and I want to know that my mate's going to make me a good baby with me. <laughs> 
you know, so make a good baby with me. Baby. <laughs> All right, fuck this shit. Moving on, Lindsay. What's up? I mean, the bottom line here is I've done both, right? I've had long-term monogamous, full-on relationship, no doubt about it, and I've had about six years of hopping around. And at this point, because I don't need a baby, and maybe I might not need a man financially either, I'm not sure if I'll ever be monogamous again. Yeah. I mean, I it it was very easy for me to be in monogamous relationships. I've never cheated. I never felt the desire. And it's also easy for me to be monogamish. I can't say that if me and my current partner were to break up, I wouldn't go back to monogamy. I could do both, I think. Um, I just think it's really important to like, have a bit more of an open mind. And I too do totally get having the primary partner for a baby with the way society is currently set up. I would love to somehow see a modern shift. How do we somehow create some semblance of tribal living in our modern culture? I think that's option C. How do we create sisterhood? How do we create some sort of modern tribal living where you can get the benefits of both? Because there are benefits to both. Sign yeah. me up for that, please. Yeah, tribal, <laughs> tribalism does sound good. It's very cuntalicious. And as, and as we're all, all saying this, my little baby boy is kicking me. Yeah. And... Lindsay and I are planning my baby shower and something that I am looking to incorporate is how can I create community through having my community sign up to set Ethan and I up super powerfully. So yeah, I think a mix of both is um, what I'd like to find in today's society, um, at least in my life. So we just scratched the surface of this book. If this episode didn't titillate your senses, then, you know... Tune out. Fuck you. But, <laughs> but if it did, go buy this book, Sex at Dawn, or yeah. get the Audible book. I listened to the Audible book. I listened to the Audible. Listened to the Audible. And yeah, mm-hmm. it was it was fascinating. Now I'm going through and like studying it so I can come and hear and like talk about it for you all. It's a solid read. You could definitely read it twice and still have shit to read again. <laughs> for sure. So thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, to this week's episode of Clit Talk. It, as always, you can hit us up on our Instagram. Let us know. Did you read Sex at Dawn? Did you love it? Did you fucking hate it? Did it piss you off? Did it excite the shit out of you? Um, read along with us. We're going to be doing a whole mini series on this book. So come on this journey with us. Hit us up on our Instagram. Let us know if there's any questions you want us to incorporate or you want to share a cool story with us. Um, We love you. If this podcast makes a difference for you, please, please share it with your friends. We are really committed to normalizing a lot of these conversations and expanding people's edges and really getting the word out that shame is just dumb. So, um, Shame is lame. Shame is lame. lame. (laughs) Um, So yeah, so thank you. Share the show with all your friends. And as always, we will see you next Tuesday. My pussy's been there since the dawn. The sex had dawn. Did you just love this episode of Clit Talk? Well, shit, then you better head on over to iTunes and subscribe, but only if you want amazing orgasms. Also, while you're over there, please rate us and leave a review. But again, only if you're open to incredible sex and amazing relationships and world peace and stuff like that. I mean, I'm sorry. Uh, It's very much appreciated and thank you.